exposure to this household air pollution contributes to over 3 million deaths per year concentrated in these poor countries where this practice is prevalent. Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Today's episode is brought to you by the University of Denver's Joseph Corbell School of International Studies. Corbell graduates make the world a better place, working toward global solutions in climate change, international security, economics, development, and diplomacy. 95% of Corbell students get jobs after graduation, and Corbell alumni are power players around the world. Learn more about the seven different degree programs offered at the University of Denver Joseph Corbell School of International Studies by visiting corbell.du.edu. My guest today, Rob Bayless, is a senior scientist for the Stockholm Environment Institute. He is a leading researcher on the intersection between energy use, health, and the environment. This includes the use of household cooking appliances, cook stoves, and the impact of the kind of fuel used in cook stoves on human health and the environment in the developing world. Rob Bayless contributed to new research supported by the Global Alliance for Clean Cookstoves that demonstrated how a transition away from burning biomass in cookstoves to using stoves powered by liquefied petroleum gas would have a positive impact on combating climate change and sharply reduce deaths and illnesses associated with dirty burning fuels. We kick off discussing the health and climate impacts of dirty burning household cooking appliances before having a longer discussion about his research on the counterintuitive positive impact that fossil fuels could have in supporting an energy transition around household cooking in the developing world. Now, here is my conversation with Rob Bayless of the Stockholm Environment Institute. Can I have you just explain the problem of dirty cook stoves and the challenge of clean cooking? Just kind of set the scene for people who are not familiar about this particular health and environmental challenge. This is a challenge, a uh, problem that is prevalent in all around the world throughout the global south. The poorer the country, the more ingrained the problem tends to be. There's a pretty close correlation between income and access to clean fuels. So basically all around the developing world, people rely on either wood or other forms of biomass, and that would be organic matter like crop residues, some places even dried dung cakes. 
in other places, charcoal, which is the sort of stuff that we use to barbecue, but people use it on a daily basis to cook their food. And it leads to all sorts of problems. The ones that we're maybe most concerned about are exposure to air pollution that's associated with just burning hard to burn stuff like solid fuels in small scale fires and oftentimes, although not always, indoors. And it just leads to very high exposures to harmful pollutants that come off when you can't burn stuff very cleanly. Those pollutants include particulate matter, in some cases, carbon monoxide, and then a bunch of uh, other chemicals that are also harmful that come along with the particulate matter, like benzene and some other organics that are known to cause cancer. And just overall unhealthy, particularly at high concentrations. Is there a good estimate of the number of people in the world today who rely on biomass or other dirty burning fuels to cook and potentially even like heat their homes? The World Health Organization tries to keep track on this and the current estimate they use, and this is what we also use in our study, is around 2.4 billion people. And what sort of health impact does that have on those 2.4 billion people, the exposure to all those pollutants? Are there like short-term and long-term like health and development impacts? Yeah, there absolutely are. So again, this is relying on information from WHO. They estimate exposure to this household air pollution contributes to over 3 million deaths per year concentrated in these poor countries where this practice is prevalent. And for comparison, that's roughly equivalent to the combined impact of tuberculosis and HIV. So it's really quite a large toll it takes on some of the most vulnerable populations. So the short of it is, is that it is profoundly harmful. And for that reason, the development community for at least 15 years now has collaborated around ideas and studies and projects to support the transition away from dirty burning fuels to cleaner fuels. The Clean Cookstoves Alliance, which I know you are a part of, is one of those efforts. It's something I've reported on for years and years. And we are talking today because you produced or supported or was a lead researcher on a new study testing the impact of a different kind of fuel. Could you just set up the study for us? What were you trying to test and how did you test it? Sure. So I would use the term model because we didn't actually do any actual testing, but it's based on previous work where folks went out and actually measured emissions from different stoves. So what we were interested in is what are the broad implications of a large scale transition? So that's looking at these literally nearly two and a half billion people that are using polluting fuels today. And how would the world look in a big picture kind of way, if we were able to induce a transition over a relatively short period of time, so say 20 years or so. And the key questions we were looking at were specifically, what would happen if all of these people started to use fossil-based fuels and specifically liquid petroleum gas, or what people generally refer to as LPG, which is a combination of butane and propane. And it's the kind of stuff that, again, going back to the Western barbecue model, it's the kind of things we cook on with our outdoor grills, but many places around the world use it as an indoor cooking fuel. 
So that's one option. And the other option is just grid-based electricity, which comes from a mix of sources. But again, the majority are fossil-based, either coal or natural gas, if you look at how people make electricity around the world. And we chose those two options because if you look at the trends over time, there have been gradual transitions in many world regions, specifically East Asia, South Asia, and Latin America. And those transitions have been built on these options. There are other clean cooking options available, but just judging by the way that things have run in the recent past, these seem like the most likely options if we're going to achieve a transition at scale of hundreds of millions or billions of people. Because in parts of Asia that have transitioned away from biomass, they have transitioned to LPG or fossil fuel-based electricity? Largely, yeah. I mean, there's some exceptions, but largely, yeah, when you add up the numbers. And I should also add that LPG is by far the most prevalent. So again, following WHO data, if you look between 2000 and 2020, about 600 million people made this transition. And three quarters of them did so by gaining access to LPG. So mostly LPG. Why is that as opposed to LPG and the electric grid? Presumably because it's harder to get people attached to the electric grid. Yeah, basically, because LPG is nicely self-contained in these little cylinders, cylinders typically around you know, 13 kgs, 25 pounds, more or less, and sometimes as, as small as 3 or 6 kgs in some countries. So you don't need a lot of infrastructure to increase access to LPG. You need some distribution centers and things like that, but there's no pipelines, there's no grids. You just need you know a delivery service. So it's not trivial, but it's not super complicated. You know, whereas building a grid is is fairly complicated or, you know, building, say, natural gas pipelines, the kind of thing we have again here in the U.S. It's the path of least resistance, I'd say. And you do have, uh, you know, all around the world, the infrastructure that's required. You have service stations, you know, petrol stations or gas stations, whatever. And so you have these retail selling points that are, you know, already in place and these multinational companies that, you know, are really good at moving around small parcels, you know, gallons, liters, what have you, of fossil fuels. So there's a lot of parts that are already in place. You don't need to do that much more to add LPG to the mix. You created this model testing what would happen if there was this large scale transition away from biomass fuel to LPG and also the electric grid over, you said, 20 years. What did you find? What were some of the key outcomes of your model? Well, before I, I jump into that, I just I want to add like what the main concern here about this transition and, and the motivation behind this work was that there's no dispute that these fuels are much cleaner at the point of use. So for the people who are using wood and breathing in the smoke from the wood and suffering, you know, this excess mortality or avoidable mortality, it's indisputable. It's super clean if you switch from burning wood or burning charcoal or burning crop waste over to cooking gas, LPG, or, or of course, electricity, where there's no emissions at the point of use. But these are either 100% derived from fossil fuel in the case of LPG, or mostly derived from fossil fuel in the case of grid electricity. So the concern is that if we were to set this transition into play, what would that mean for climate change? And if we think about the bigger picture, not necessarily people being exposed to smoke at a household level, but at a global level, you know, does this leave us worse off in our effort to reduce emissions and achieve whatever goals that we're trying to achieve, 1.5 degrees or two degrees, what's the implication there? So that was the main motivation. And what we found was that when you consider all of the 
different emission streams that come from these different cooking options. If you convert either to LPG, 100% fossil fuel or electricity, mostly fossil fuel derived, you actually have a lower climate impact overall. So these are fossil fuels. They're not great, but presumably they're better than the current wood burning that's happening. Yeah. So there are basically two climate impacts that come from using wood in this way. One comes from the photosynthesis process itself. So when, when trees grow, right, they fix CO2. And if you cut a tree or if you harvest an area of forest and you allow it to regrow 100%, then that CO2 is eventually recovered. It's pulled out of the atmosphere and you have a net zero system over the long term. But if you use that wood and you remove it from the landscape at a rate that's faster than the landscape itself can regenerate, then over time, you gradually lose the standing stock of wood and the CO2 that you emit, a fraction of it remains in the atmosphere. So it's almost like you're burning fossil fuels in that sense. You're putting CO2 out in the atmosphere and it's not being sequestered or recovered. So that's one path. The other path, when you burn wood, and I explained earlier in these small scale household devices, it's really hard to burn completely. And you get these pollutants and the pollutants, as I explained earlier, are concerned for health. They also can contribute to climate change. They're what we call climate forcing agents or climate pollutants. So some of the stuff you get off in gaseous form when you can't burn wood completely includes carbon monoxide and includes methane and includes some other gaseous hydrocarbons that all affect the radiative balance in a way similar to CO2. Some are stronger, like methane, for example, and on a molecular basis, methane is a, is a much more potent warmer. Carbon monoxide is about equivalent, has different mechanisms, but is about equivalent on a sort of molecular basis. So when you add all these up, you get this additional impact. So not only are you leaving some CO2 in the atmosphere because you're not allowing the trees to fully recover, you're also having the second stream of these other non-CO2 greenhouse gases. And maybe the most critical one there isn't a gas at all. It's, a, it's an aerosol, a fine particle, and that's black carbon that comes off when you can't burn fuels completely. And that's a very potent warming agent. So... Paradoxically, then, switching to fossil fuels would have a net positive impact on climate change. Did your model suggest how much of a net positive impact it would have? It did. So I can, I can explain this in temperature terms or just in net gas reduction terms. In gas terms, we're talking about like literally billions of tons of carbon over this 20-year period. So fairly significant. And in temperature terms, we only ran our model out 20 years. So it's a very small fraction of a degree that we find the world would be slightly cooler if we were to take this path as opposed to what we define as a business as usual path where people continue to burn wood fuels and, and other forms of biomass. But the key takeaway here isn't necessarily the magnitude, but the direction, the fact that it's going to be a little bit less warm in the future, in a, in a future that we're already committed to some warming. If you take this pathway, it's just a little bit less as opposed to a little bit more. I mean, it's interesting. And presumably the findings can be somewhat controversial in the sense that you are saying that actually transitioning to fossil fuels would have net health benefits and climate benefits as well, even though fossil fuels are obviously like a major, major problem in the world today. How do you approach that question? Is it really just the fact that it is 
not realistic to transition to like fully sustainable fuel for cook stoves in the near term. So the idea here is that LPG is like the transition as we create other more renewable sources. Yeah, that's one way to think about it. It's a tough question, really. So because this is one way to really get this transition underway quickly, we could think of it as a, as a transitional option. There are, like I said, other clean pathways, but none of them are quite ready to scale to the same extent that LPG has been shown to be scalable over these past couple of decades. So if we really were serious about addressing the health concerns, which are really profound, then this is probably the best way to go. And I think it does raise some questions of lock-in, you know, like, are we shutting down other potentially cleaner, more sustainable options in the long term, or are we making them less likely by suggesting that we ramp up LPG, you know, even more aggressively than it's been ramped up already? You know, that's the tough question to answer. Do we value the potential health benefits that we could see really, really quickly? Do we value them more or less than this notion of locking into a not optimal fossil fuel option for the near future? I don't really have an answer to that, but it's it's something that I would like to consider. But I guess, again, the, the takeaway from our work is that some of the objections that have been raised particularly against LPG, the electricity is a, is a slightly different set of questions, but specifically around LPG, where that, well, you know, what is a fossil fuel? We can't possibly be making fossil fuel investments at this stage of the game. You know, look at how we're not on track to meet any of these temperature goals or any of these emission reduction goals. So, you know, we should clearly just shut that path down. And that's, if you're making that argument on a climate basis, because of concerns around emissions, it's not a good argument to make. It's just, it doesn't stand up to scrutiny, you know, because we're demonstrating that you're actually lowering emissions across the board. You're lowering CO2 and you're lowering emissions of these other climate forcers. And if our models are correct, you're actually lowering temperature a tiny little bit as well. So like you can have other objections to the fossil fuel pathway, but it shouldn't be based on the potential climate impact. So the transition you're talking about to LPG mostly cooking fuels for, you know, over 2 billion people, you know, will require just a massive effort on the part of the public sector, philanthropies, the private sector, multinationals, and, you know, the World Bank and other key funders. Like, do you suspect that as they encounter your research, what questions might they have? I mean, on the one hand, it might, as you say, be like a bitter pill to swallow, on the one hand, your research demonstrates there are net climate benefits from using LPG. On the other hand, as you just said, you're also encouraging further investments in fossil fuels. So I think the, the list of, of actors that you mentioned might approach this differently, you know, depending on, on which one specifically. There are some multinationals that would love to see this path go forward, right? There are some funders who have been on board on this or or have have kind of downplayed the the fossil impact but others have been quite concerned about it i hope this can nudge them in 
make them not be so ideologically opposed to this option. This kind of transition that we're, we're talking about in the absence of major investment is completely unlikely to happen. You know, some of the world's regions have started this transition already and are well on, on their way. Others, and specifically, I'll pick out Sub-Saharan Africa, you know, if, if you look at the projections of how things are likely to occur, and again, I'm, I'm falling back on work that WHO has done, we're likely to see, you know, increased use of biomass and other polluting fuels well into the future, you know, at least through 2050. So what I hope our results can do is spur some additional investment in this to make the transition, particularly in that region, a little more likely to grease the wheel, so to speak. And that raises all sorts of questions, right? What kind of policies would you put in place? What kind of investment is necessary? One of the reasons that this is not likely to occur without major investment is that it's it's just expensive, right? It raises all sorts of questions about how would you pay for this? But what we're demonstrating is you know, not, not only is there a serious health benefit and to address a problem that's you know really on a, on a tremendous scale, similar to other things that we spent billions trying to address, like TB and malaria, but there's also this public good around climate. So, you know, the entire world literally can benefit from this transition. And then how exactly do you put that into place? Do you pay subsidized infrastructure? Do you subsidize, you know, end use cost? Those are thorny questions because it's easy to say it's really hard to implement in a way that's effective, but that's a different analysis for a different day. Yeah, for now, you have just laid the empirical groundwork for policymakers to make uh, future decisions around funding and, and investments and, and other key political decisions. Yeah, I'd like to think so. Well, thank you, Rob. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Global Dispatches. Our show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg, and edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you have questions or comments, please email us using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Before you go, do take a moment to show your support for the show by becoming a premium subscriber. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can do so with a couple taps of your thumb. If you're listening elsewhere, you can go to patreon.com slash global dispatches. We rely on support from listeners to continue to do what we do far into the future. And by becoming a premium subscriber, you will unlock access to our entire archive of hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Please rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts. <laughs>